The purpose of this podcast is solely for patient education. It is not intended to evaluate, diagnose, treat, or cure disease. Views expressed are those of the podcasters and not their affiliate. Any medical questions or concerns should be addressed by the listener's physician or care provider. Listening to this podcast does not constitute a patient-physician relationship between the listener and the podcaster. We do hope the podcast can help enhance the listener's own medical experience. Welcome back to this week's episode of Everything Your Doc Wants You to Know, but doesn't have time to tell you. In case you haven't listened before, the purpose of our podcast is to educate and inform about health matters affecting adults. From latest research updates to tips on navigating the healthcare system and everything in between. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Lindsay. How's it going, Lindsay? Good. How are you? Good. Welcome back to another episode this week. Yeah, I think we're talking about congestive heart failure today. Yes. And this is an interesting topic that affects many adults, um, especially older adults. And it's a topic that sounds kind of scary. So why don't we start by defining what heart failure is and what it means, and then we can go into symptoms and other things. I think there's two different kinds of heart failure. Um, And I feel like most people, when you tell them they have heart failure, they are very concerned. The name itself is worrisome sounding. And scary, scared. And um, I think the most common type that you think of is um, heart failure where the pump loses its strength, right? So the heart is a pump that pumps blood throughout our body. And um, there's, like I said, two different types of heart failure. And the most, probably not the most common that's out there, but the, what I think most people associate their thoughts with is the, the heart failure where the heart pump fails, Right, so... Or weakens. Right, so as the heart is squeezing blood to the lungs and then to the rest of the body, it does two things. It squeezes and then it relaxes so it can fill up with blood again before it squeezes again. So failure happens when either one of those parts isn't working, either the squeezing or the relaxing. Right, and we measure the squeeze by something called an ejection fraction, and a normal would be 60 Yep, 60-65% is a good ejection fraction. Even 55% doesn't make us concerned. Right. Um, It's when we start to see numbers below that that we know problems can occur. And so that ejection fraction is how we measure the squeeze of the heart. And that's done usually with an echocardiogram. That's an ultrasound of the heart or um, more advanced imaging done by cardiology. Right. And so the, the second type that is probably more common is when the heart doesn't relax as well as it should in the relaxation phase. Yep. And that can happen for many different reasons, but often it's because the heart muscle is thickened and kind of hard, just like arteries harden, things are less elastic and less flexible as we age. And so it just doesn't relax as well, which means it doesn't fill with as much blood. And then the heart can't pump as much blood. Right. And so that's um, very common just with aging. Yeah, that's very, yeah, especially in women, but also affects men as well. And I guess we could go back to common causes of heart failure with low ejection fraction yeah, or decreased ejection, so typical congestive heart failure. Right, and I would say heart attack is probably the most common cause of heart failure with a low ejection fraction um, because then you have damage to the muscles of the heart and they just don't work like they used to and the squeeze gets less strong. Um, Valvular heart disease, so 
people who have mitral valve regurgitation um, or weakening of the mitral valve uh, or bicuspid, so aortic stenosis or bicuspid aortic valves um, that become stenotic later on, those are all causes of heart failure. Right. And so you just said a few big words here. Let's just take a minute to talk about the valves themselves are... There are four valves in the heart. They all function to open and close in a coordinated manner so that the heart is pumping blood forward instead of the wrong way when it squeezes. So when the heart is going to squeeze, um, some of the valves close, others open to let blood go in the correct direction and not in the backward direction. Valvular regurgitation means that the valve is leaking, can be a lot or just a little bit, and that allows blood to flow backward when the heart squeezes. And then there's valvular stenosis, which means the valve itself is either thickened or calcified, and that makes it harder for blood to flow through the valve. So a few different um, aspects of valve disease that can contribute to heart failure. There's also, you know, you can have heart failure from chronic um, untreated hypertension or obstructive sleep apnea. And then there's rarer types of cardiomyopathy, we call them, which is weakening of the muscle Um, And it can either be from infiltrative processes or from a viral cardiomyopathy. And sometimes those things are reversible. At least viral can be sometimes. Um, And then infiltrative, very rare um, things like amyloidosis. Sarcoidosis. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of different factors can contribute. And of course, if you think about it, Anything that's making the heart work harder over time, so high blood pressure where the heart has to squeeze against a higher pressure, more resistance, and sleep apnea does the same thing, that can cause heart failure because the heart muscle thickens, the heart tries to remodel itself to work in a more efficient way, and actually um, that is a counterproductive process that happens. And so these things result in heart failure over time. Um, A few other things are alcohol. Excessive alcohol use can cause a cardiomyopathy where the heart muscle just gets big and floppy and doesn't contract like it should. Drug use can cause MIs. It can also cause cardiomyopathy. So, um, yeah, those are other issues that can lead to this. Right. Symptoms would be an important thing to discuss next. Um, And basically it would be becoming more short of breath on exertion. So when you're doing exercise, when you're exercising or when you're walking to the mailbox, you start noticing that you're getting, you're huffing and puffing a lot sooner than you had otherwise. Right. That's kind of what I would think a first symptom. Yep. That would be an earlier sign that the heart isn't working as well as it should be. And Um, Sometimes that's from ischemia, where part of the heart isn't getting enough blood flow, but it can also be from heart failure. Um, And then other symptoms, as things progress, people might notice that they have trouble breathing when they're lying down flat at Mm -hmm. night. And sometimes elevating their head with a few pillows will help because there's um, extra fluid in the lungs. They may wake up at night gasping for air because they have fluid in their lungs and just aren't aware of that. So um, nighttime symptoms and trying to lie flat can really become a problem. Right. And then, you know, as things progress, you can get um, more fluid buildup in the lungs. And so just even shortness of breath at rest or swelling in the gain weight, fluid weight, you start retaining fluid. And that can be in the legs. It can be in the belly. Um, Some people all throughout the abdomen gain, gain the fluid, excess fluid. Um, and then in your lungs. Right. And so as you can imagine, if the heart 
isn't pumping adequate blood forward, then that extra fluid backs up and it starts to actually, the first the, the veins will dilate a little bit, but eventually the fluid will start to leak out of the vessels and again into the lungs, into the legs, into the abdomen, and that's what leads to these other symptoms. And I guess if you were talking, that this is all kind of congestive heart failure with a decreased ejection fraction or, right. or heart pump decline. What would be some symptoms of, of congestive heart failure or heart failure with preserved ejection fraction? Swelling. I mean, most people who have preserved ejection fraction have similar symptoms, but the biggest one I think would be swell, lower extremity swelling. Right. That would be more prominent probably than the shortness of breath and yeah. fluid in the lungs. Yep. So treatment for congestive heart failure. And again, this is kind of a scary diagnosis when it's first received. Um, but fortunately, people can live and do fairly well, depending on how severe the heart failure is, working with their primary care physician and or cardiology. Um, there are lots of things that we can do. And sometimes actually uh, the medications and treatments can lead to improvement in the heart function. And so, like I said, people can do fairly well. Right. I think, and to, you know, if you come to your physician with these symptoms, what we would do to diagnose would be part just listening to your clinical um, your your concerns, your symptoms, um, that can tell us a lot. But if we, uh, sometimes we might do a more thorough investigation where we try to figure out the cause of your heart failure. And so just as the causes we discussed, we'd probably do the echo picture of your heart. Um, you may get a stress test to see if it's from um, lack of blood supply or a history of a heart attack um, to weaken your muscle. Cardiac catheterization might come after mm -hmm. that, um, an angiogram to look at the, the vessel supplying the heart. What are other things we might do for diagnosis? Yeah, I think sometimes a chest x-ray just to right. see if there's fluid in the lungs. Uh, blood tests to uh, BNP you've right. maybe heard of. That's a brain natriuretic peptide, which can be elevated when pressures are high in the atria of the heart. Um they're not a great test to follow heart failure with, so testing it on an ongoing basis doesn't really guide treatment, and we'll talk about that in a minute here, but that can help just verify is it probably heart failure or not. And so then ways to, the, the biggest group of medications we use, we kind of use as two main types of medication, well maybe three I guess, um, but one would be what are called the ACE inhibitors or ARBs. And those are blood pressure medications that have been shown, a group of blood pressure medications that have been shown to help with remodeling of the heart muscle to improve the muscle strength and pump. Right. And so people taking ARBs or ACE inhibitors um, can actually see some improvement in their ejection fraction um, where, you know, initially at the time of diagnosis, the EF might be 35%. And after some time on medications, that could come up to 45 or 50% which is a significant improvement. Right. And another group of medications that are often used um, in congestive heart failure would be the beta blockers, um, which slow the heart rate um, and lower blood pressure, but also do some heart remodeling. Right. They, and they help reduce the workload on the heart too. So all of those kind of have protective oh effects on heart failure in the long term and help people do um, or at least optimize the function of their heart. And then we have the group of diuretics. Right. 
diuretics have not been shown to necessarily affect lifespan or anything in that regard. They don't help with cardiac remodeling or the muscle changes, but they help with symptom management. So that's when we use diuretics is if people are more short of breath or have a lot of swelling, then the role of diuretics comes into play. You also need to participate in some lifestyle changes if you um, get a diagnosis of heart failure. And I think it's important to exercise, right? That's how we strengthen all muscles in our mm-hmm. body, including the heart muscle and and the lungs and our conditioning, overall conditioning. So I think um, most hospitals and clinic groups have cardiac rehab exercise programs to start people off and to um, continue improving their cardiovascular health through exercise. Right. And another important part is diet and especially reducing sodium in the diet because sodium causes us to retain fluid. And of course, with heart failure, any extra fluid can kind of tip the balance and result in more fluid retention and fluid buildup in the lungs and in other places where we don't want it. So restricting sodium will make a difference. Yeah. And so I'd refer you back to our um our podcast on salt, because it certainly is important. I mean, I think I even commented in that I've had patients who were hospitalized for their heart failure because of, you know, one extra bag of chips or an, a, a pickle. Um, so it can be a small, right? one small thing that you that don't think is a big over. deal that yep. tips you over. And we edge. also see it commonly after holidays when people are right. eating more ham. Yeah. Yep. Those salty things, we tend to see more heart failure problems right after that. So you have to pay attention and read the labels and really limit the salt that you take in for both types of heart failure. Right. So in addition to doing the exercise and limiting salt, um, you it's also possible to work with your physician or care team to adjust medications at home. And not that we usually have people adjusting their ARBS or ACE inhibitors or beta blockers, but the diuretics can be tweaked a little bit um, depending on what's happening at home. And again, this needs to be a plan that you come up with with your care team. So often what what um, plan is in our clinic is certainly you must take a weight every day. So first thing in the morning, weigh yourself without any clothes on. Um, and mark that down. And it's good to know kind of your dry weight or your baseline weight where you feel your best and where you have no fluid um, buildup or overload. And then based on that, every day you weigh yourself. And at our clinic, we happen to use overnight weight gain of three pounds or a week weight gain of five pounds. Then you um, oftentimes we have you double up on your um, diuretic. So certainly you need to to discuss that with with your physician. Um, But oftentimes you can just do a day or two of the extra dose um, and that'll get you back to your your baseline weight. You have to figure in um, some other things that happen when you take a diuretic. Uh, Those medications have you urinate out your potassium and so often you have to take potassium uh, to replace when you're on them and so you may have to take additional potassium um, when you do that extra so it's something that you have to to work out 
um, with your care team, but it's certainly doable to kind of monitor that on your own and then adjust things over time. Right. And making little tweaks like this can help prevent worsening symptoms and hospitalizations and things like that. So it can be really beneficial. The other thing is sometimes we will even have people hold a diuretic if their weight is dropping or they're getting dehydrated or dizzy, then we may hold the diuretic for a day and then start back up again. So you know, watching the weight, watching symptoms, watching blood pressure can also be helpful so that those little tiny adjustments can be made day to day just to keep things balanced and keep people from getting symptomatic. So I think that that covers most about most of what we wanted to say about congestive heart failure. Do you have any um, health pearls for today? Yeah, you know, the last few weeks we've been eating a really good stir fry that I've come to like. Um, And I've, you know, we've tried different stir fry recipes in the past. And this one is my, I love the flavor. It's just, it's so good. It's, um, and I have to say, when we talk about heart failure, stir fry is probably a red flag most of the time. Right, right. (laughs) So yeah, you have to watch the salt and be very careful when you're eating stir fry. This one I think is pretty good and I can't tell you milligrams of sodium in it, but I think it's, it's pretty decent. It's in the, uh, it's a cookbook called run fast, cook fast, eat slow. And, um, it's just a really good stir fry recipe nice blend of flavors and colors we use tofu instead of chicken um, and then eat it over a little bit of quinoa Um, and it kind of has a almost a soup like flavor and I think it's because it has celery in it to me that's like chicken noodle soup but it's not as salty as soup so if you're looking for something sort of like soup you're getting your veggies getting some good protein um, it's colorful it's tasty it's I think it's a great um Great recipe. So we'll post that on the website too if you want to take a look at that. And again, um, I can't promise that it's low salt, but I don't think it's terribly bad either. So good. Yeah. Sounds like one I'll check out. Yeah, it's a good one. Remember, we'd like to um, hear from you about topics that you want us to discuss, um, questions that you have for us. Uh, please email us at mail at everythingdoc.com that's m-a-i-l at e-v-e-r-y-t-h-i-n-g d-o-c dot c-o-m you can also follow us on facebook at everythingdoc or on twitter at everythingdoc1 right and in order for other listeners to find us we appreciate if you rate us and write us a review on whatever app you listen to podcasts on we also have our website at www.everythingdoc.com Right, and we've got lots of resources on the website, recipes, um, daily health pearls, things like that, or weekly health pearls, so check it out. Yeah, we hope that uh, you have a good week ahead. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.